Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the trees. Stop and hear what I say. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour, second Saturday of the month, which means we are talking trees. Gary Peterson, the branch manager of Save a Tree, joining us in studio today, along with special guests, if you're following along in our home maintenance calendar. You know, we'll be talking about tree hazards and risk. We do it ahead of the monsoon seasons to make sure we get through without any blown over or broken branches we weren't we didn't want. But before we do that, we're, we cover the tree of the month, the Arizona mesquite. And Mr. Peterson, you've got a very special guest in studio to help cover that with you. Why don't you introduce your guest? I've got Kevin with me today, um, Salamandra, if I'm saying that correctly. Correct. You got that? Kevin, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I've been here in Arizona for over 40 years. I've been in the industry for just as long as well. I've been a grower of desert trees, um, and I work for a nursery called Arid Zone Trees. We're a wholesale grower, uh, growing basically mesquites, acacias, palo verdes, and ironwoods. Um, really enjoy what I do, um, and it's a lot of fun. Kevin's facility is second to none. Um, he's a plethora of knowledge <laughs> on growing trees, I can tell you that. And we had the opportunity to walk your, your nursery, uh, gosh, it's probably eight Seven, six years ago, something, the Arizona Nursery Association put together uh, annual tours throughout different unique growers and facilities, and they brought us to y'all's showroom. Now, it's not open to the public. You've got to schedule a time with an appointment if you've got a landscape architect or a a landscape installer, something like that. But, I mean, just talk through what y'all have put together because it's, I mean, they intentionally brought us in a hot month just to walk through a natural desert shade canopy and see what difference it could make? Well, um, the nursery is 160 acres. we got about 95,000 trees growing in the nursery. Um, What we did, we built an office, which was an award-winning design, and it was supposed to be really set up for a demonstration garden because we had people would come out from Chicago or Kansas, and they would look at these desert trees, and they go, well, this looks like a shrub, you know, is this really going to be a tree? And so the idea was to set up this beautiful garden to demonstrate the size of the trees when they're mature. So when an architect was designing it, they'd see it in a blueprint. They would understand what this little tree was going to grow into. Um, and it was, you know, a great idea. Uh, and so many people, you know, we have people stopping by all the time around the community uh, wanting to come into the garden and either do a wedding or a birthday party, or uh, just take photographs for graduation uh, pictures and all for, for school and all. So it's And Rosie, you would really like their office because it's all masonry, and it's kind of like a cross between Frank Lloyd Wright and, I just drew a blank, it starts with a B, bah, the architect, bah, 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 bah. I'll, I'll think of it during the break, of course. But, I mean, it is a complete 100% masonry office surrounded by these beautiful desert uh, natives that have grown up in just the perfect shade canopy. That's just the way it ought to be. (laughs) It's, you know, you go out there and you you walk under these trees and it's nice and cool. And you go out in the full full sun, you know, sun beats on you and um, 
it gets pretty intense you know, with the heat. So yeah. it's enjoyable to walk under the shade. It's a, it's a perfect example of what desert inhabitants should be building. And t- talk to us about our tree of the month, the Arizona mesquite. Um, yeah, you have a Prosopis velatina. It's a native mesquite or velvet mesquite is another common name for it. To me, it's a beautiful tree. We had a hard time uh, growing the tree to begin with. Um, the seed selection trees tend to get these aphids that in the nursery business, we would have to put on uh, applications of pesticides to keep the kind of bugs down. What it was doing also, it was slowing the trees down so we couldn't get them into production and for sale that quick. And through the many, many years of growing these trees, we found one particular tree that actually didn't get the vector insects on it. And so we pulled that aside and we began cloning it. And this one particular tree, it's again a native mesquite, uh, is a fabulous upright, gorgeous tree, provides great shade. Um, It is... Once it's established, it's very drought tolerant, and in the wintertime, it drops as foliage, which is really kind of a great thing. And what happens when the leaf goes down into the ground, it actually helps um, fortify the soil. So you're actually building a better soil profile um, for the plant. So as you get rainfall or if you do water it, uh, it really retains a lot more water and all. So it's really kind of a nice tree to put in your, your yard. And when you said once it's well-established, it's drought tolerant. Is that a two-, three-year establishment, or is it a quick rooting? Um, it depends on the size of the tree you put in, but it's usually three to five years to where you can actually then pull off the water on it. Um, generally, what I always tell people is once you get it to the size that you're looking for, then you can kind of reduce the water. So if you want a 15-by-15 tree, which may be in three years, then you can pull the water off, and it will you know, not grow as fast. But if you want it something a little bit bigger, a little bit more shade, you want to keep the water on it a little bit longer, um, you can do that as well. You know, it's funny. It's something that obvious can be hard to, to fathom because there was I was I had planted a grove of mesquite trees out back of my house, and I was telling the nursery, I'm like, man, I have to trim these things four or five times a year. And he's like, well, quit watering it. Yeah. Like, quit feeding it. That's made. That's yeah. why you planted it so you yeah. didn't have to water it. Yeah. You watered it. It's growing. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Oops. He had me when he said clone. I was like, oh, what's this all about? We talked yesterday, and he was going through this whole thing, and I was, I was just amazed by the, the things that he understands about trees. Well, it's cool because, you know, if you do seed selection, there's a tree for every person. Yeah, yeah. it was an upright, you know, horizontal growing, weeping one. Um, and then we found within our industry, working with architects, you know, they look for a lot of uniformity or as a grower, we'll try to find something that is maybe more cold hardy or maybe it's got a really beautiful flower, like a desert willow. You may select the tree because it's flower color. And again, we have gone through our nursery uh, growing thousands and thousands of trees and had an opportunity to really kind of evaluate each tree that we do grow and through that time we've selected each type of whether it's a mesquite or a palo verde or an ironwood or a willow uh, a tree out of our seed selection and then began cloning them and re- mass producing those for the industry which is really kind of a fun neat thing to do and you talked about the expectations of people coming from other parts of this of the country and having to educate them as to what we've got here 
uh, in Texas, a mesquite tree is a weed. Uh, people, that, that, I, you, yes. tell, you tell a Texan, oh. we're going to landscape your yard with mesquites, <laughs> and he looks at you like, what are you doing, man? Uh, about, they are nuisance weeds. About 40 years ago, I was trying to get a guy in Texas to collect some seed for me for a honey mesquite. <laughs> And he said exactly that. I mean, you, you've been in the sun too long, son. You know. <laughs> I said, no, I'm serious. You know, we, we like these trees. You know, it's it's something else. Yeah. It is amazing when you're talking about 160 acres and 90,000 trees. You 95,000. 95,000. When we're full. And yeah. when <laughs> and just going through and finding this one unique one. I mean, just the amount of time and attention to detail that that takes. And you know, it, and it was you know, it wasn't just. One year. I mean, it took several years, you said, to find this one and propagate the perfect one. And then you take that one and you, you clone it. And then it becomes this, you know, we, iconic we, staple. It, it takes us about five years to evaluate a tree because we'll see the seedling. We see it growing. We'll watch it. We'll prune it. We'll take care of it. And then we'll put it in our demonstration garden and grow it out there to see how it does in our sun, in the summer heat, and in the winter with the cold weather. Um, and after that evaluation, if we find that it passes, we'll then uh, bring it into production uh, for propagation. I have a lot of people that uh, call in and ask about training their mesquite trees to go up instead of out and all over the place. Do you have any uh, advice on how to get that done? Selection. Selection. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Well, we ran into the same problem. I used to do inventory, walk into the nursery. And I'd go through a block of trees, and there was this one tree that would not grow up. It was always weeping down, so I'd prune it up, come back the next month. Still not the size. I'd prune it up again, and it's just a genetic thing sometimes. You know, if you're using seed selection, uh, you'll have a tree that it just doesn't do what you want to do. So my advice is when you're out of the nursery selecting a tree, look at the branching structure, make sure it's V-shaped, upright, and form, and that'll help at least the selection process when you plant it in then you can kind of culture it up you'll have you know a, a better chance of getting what you want in the final right right got product. it got it got it and you know there's a number of different nurseries around Arizona that have all kind of cultivated their own savanos out of Tucson they have a yep. a live oak that you know you you picture an oak and it's very wide growing well they've got one that grew that looked more very round and and so it was an opportunity to put an oak in an area where you otherwise couldn't because it was a much smaller growing. Uh, Arizona Pistachio Nursery out of Marana, they've got the red push pistachio they've cultivated. Mm -hmm. It's neat to bring you know, a lot of these things that were cultivated here locally and see them you know, out in the landscape and their lower water use than a lot of the trees that we were bringing in, uh, you know, like the mulberries and uh, elms that have come in and, and bringing in the local touch to meet our environment. It's a great thing. I tell you, our, our industry uh, from when I started 40 years ago have really grown into realizing that we can take these really neat-looking trees and uh, reproduce them uh, for the you know wholesale and retail industry and all that stuff. And that's uh, Arizona Wholesale, Mountain States Wholesale Nursery, Savano, uh, a number of us, you know, we all have worked together um, in a sense in finding our own trees and then reproducing them and introducing them to uh, the industry. Um, and it's, it's as you go around 
uh, and look at the newer landscape today as opposed to older landscape, it's amazing how different, and I, I notice this because I'll look at mesquite trees or uh, the pistache trees or uh, the oak trees, and um, it's, it's great to see what we've done to the industry in, in introducing these clone trees uh, for the environment. Do you know what the definition of an acorn is? Well, in a nutshell, it's an oak tree. Yeah, I'm not, really, I'm not there yet. So. I just want to make sure. <laughs> Talking trees. Gary Peterson, branch manager of Save a Tree. And we've got Kevin Salamandra of Arid Tree Zone in the studio. We've talked about our tree of the month, which is the Arizona mesquite. And we're going to talk about tree hazards and risks. Hopefully, uh, we get a lot of wind and a lot of rain and a lot of monsoon activity. Moisten up our dry, dry deserts. I was talking to cousins in Louisiana. They were complaining about they're on a three-week dry spell Hmm. and how (laughs) how we don't need to worry about mosquitoes because it hasn't rained for three weeks. I'm like, "Mm, it hasn't rained here uh, that I can remember anything significant since January. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's the last time I saw rain. I think Flagstaff got a little yesterday, but not, nice. nothing here in the valley. We're um, we're actually starting to gear up for for monsoon. Um, and uh, the big thing about you know trees and monsoon is the wind. Um, if you're going to, I can't say monsoon proof your trees, you'd need to, to do some pruning on them. Um, but a lot of people think, you know, when they look at the tree, let's take a bunch out of it. And you don't want to ever do more than 20 to 30%. Um, you want the wind to blow through it um, easily. You want the tree to move a little bit. Uh, when you and I were talking yesterday, you kind of made an analogy of like a solar panel. Yeah. Um, we, we always looked at, you know, trimming a tree is like a good haircut. You really don't want to don't want to know that you actually took anything away. And that's actually a good pruning job. So it's important to, again, take the least amount of um, uh, limbs off the tree as you can in order to really help promote the growth of the tree. And, and I use the piece about a trees like a, um, solar panels. The more solar panels you have, the more energy you can produce from the solar panels. And it's like a tree. If you remove all those branches – you're removing the ability for the tree to do any photosynthesis in order to grow. So, again, it's very important to make sure that you limit, and it's better to go in more often, more frequently, and prune the tree than it is to come in and remove half the tree. And then you also get additional problems with the tree as well. Um, You'll get sunburn. Um, I I have found when you really, I'm going to say butcher the tree, because a lot of the branches are helping support it. When you get these high winds, you'll get this lion tail. And then what happens, the wind will snap that branch off because it doesn't have the other branches supporting it and holding it together. Yeah, and it, um, you know, you've seen it to where um, if you're driving around, somebody will top a tree. Um, and, and that's bad for them, too, because that's going to, the tree wants to go up. And when you top a tree, it's going to grow twice as fast to try to get back to where it was. And um, that's why we say 20 to 30 percent, calm down, you'll be all right. (laughs) Well, I think some of the homeowners um, and I think some of the guys that do pruning, they're trying to show you value. So they're charging you whatever dollars to get this pruned. So 
they feel it's better to take more off so you don't have to come back again. But in reality, they don't realize the homeowner may not understand that it, it's better off just to do a little bit and then come back again. Uh, maybe a little bit more expensive, but again, it's better for the tree. I could see that where if, like you said, you don't want anyone to be able to tell that you trimmed it. So if you pay arborists to come trim it and you can't tell any work was done, you're like, hey, what am I paying you for? <laughs> so they got to have a little bit of showmanship and maybe take a few more branches off they otherwise wouldn't have. I never thought about that. And, and sometimes, you know, a lot of these big commercial ones, they've got schedules and, you know, they know already in advance they're not coming back for six months. So right. they may have go over the top because uh, they're trying to meet their schedule and not necessarily the tree schedule. I had, when I first moved out here, I was working for a uh, retail nursery, and I was doing the maintenance. And this lady that I worked for, she was amazed. She says, I can never tell where you're pruning. You do such a good job. Just because I took very little, and I did it a lot every t- every time we went in there and all stuff. So, um, Well, I mean, that it, I guess if you, if you flip it around, you can actually, if you never see the tree grow at all, that's the perfect prune. If you, if that makes sense, you yeah. Know? So that that's kind of what we're going for. Um, talk a little bit about uh, making these trees stable. We have what they call a duckbill system. Um, and when uh, you and I were talking yesterday, you were giving me some of your some of your takes on duckbills. Help me out. Um, yeah, there's a number of different ways to stake a tree, and I really we don't really stake our trees in our nursery unless you really have to. Um, and that's actually the best thing to do. I've always felt that if you have to stake your tree, maybe you got the wrong tree, or maybe it wasn't mature enough to really kind of put it in a landscape. Um, but there are times that when you get in the landscape and you install the tree, you maybe plant it in August, and then a windstorm comes by and kind of heaves the tree over a little bit. And that's, I think, when you need to kind of either use a duckbill or a stake to support the tree and straighten it back up again. And a duckbill system is basically a cabling system that you – um, you drive this little piece down into the ground, and the cable comes up out, and then you can tie it up to the tree to support the tree, um, which is pretty good. There's another system, which no one really uses. It's called a stapling system. Um, a Dr. Gilman from University of Florida is one that I learned first learned about it. And what it is, it's you have these two-by-two uh, two pieces of board that are going across the root ball, and then you have basically the uh, two-by-twos also go down into the ground and helps stabilize the root ball so it doesn't uh, uh, blow or move into, into the wind and all. Um, it's actually aesthetically very pleasing to look at, too, because then you're not looking at these uh, two-inch stakes and a duck bill that you can trip on when you walk around the landscape. And the right. name of that system again? It's called a stake. Uh, a stapling system. Stapling system. We yeah. can do a lot here, but we can't stop the clock. Stay tuned. More Talking Trees after Bottom of the Hour News. So tall a tree, so small a man. A man may grow for all he's worth, but only trees are down to earth. So tall a tree, so small a man. The man that can find a song to go with any theme we talk about here at Rosie on the House, Mr. Gary D. Behind the glass. Yes, sir. In front of the glass, Gary Peterson, branch manager of Save a Tree. And we have Kevin Salamandra, Arid Tree Zone. There's a lot of websites we can give out. We're going to put them all on the archive page. But you can go to Save a Tree. That's S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E dot com if you need an arborist in the Maricopa County area. 
arid tree zone if you want to browse online some of the great local native low water use plants that they cultivate here and we're going to kind of go back to the stapling because that was a a, pretty sure the first time we've ever talked about that tree staking uh, method here and I want to cover that a little bit more in depth. (coughs) Sorry Um, it's it's a it's a wonderful system. I sat and I studied it last night. Um, with a duckbill, you are going to have cables, uh, tripping hazards, things like this. With this type of system, it does exactly the same thing as a duckbill system does, except there are no – there's nothing to look at. Everything happens underground. You want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, which is really kind of nice. What we always recommend when you plant a tree is that we would like you to root prune your tree – which basically if you have any circling roots, you're removing those uh, from the outer part of the root ball. And then as that tree roots would begin to develop, they're going to radiate into that native soil that you have there. And what the staking does, the stapling staking does, is that helps hold the root ball down in place so it doesn't uh, get blown in uh, with all the high winds and all. But what it is, there's two stakes uh, they're parallel from each other. Uh, they're used, they're, the stakes are two-by-two two boards that come across uh, the top of the root ball. And then there's, if you have a 24-inch or a 36-inch uh, box that you're putting in, the stake would then also go down on the side of the root ball, two feet for the smaller root ball and three feet for the larger ones to help stabilize that in the, in the, in the landscape. And through time, as your roots develop into the native landscape, that the stake staking system will stabilize root ball and eventually it'll decompose and you'll have a nice good upright standing tree boy that's key i, I don't think i'm ever going to let any landscaper stake a tree we ever remodel again because i hate the uh, scars the cabling leaves on the trunk for the rest of the tree's life Sure enough, it you know, does. They, they don't cut it soon enough. They don't come back and circle back and take them down. And the cables left up there too long. I, I've got a tree that we planted. The, the client wanted a victory tree because he had won a particularly large settlement. And so we planted this victory tree. And the, unfortunately, the landscaper that planted it for us left the cabling system on it too long. And I drive by that tree all the time. And darn it, if it just isn't permanently trunk scarred. So I'm going staple at this point forward. Absolutely. I've already scheduled a conference call with Save a Tree on Monday. We're going to talk about this. Here's the new planting standard. (laughs) That's right. I love it. That's great. Well, and I love, you know, that this is all subterranean when you're done. You never see it. You never have to come back. You never, it, it takes absolutely zero return, repeat attendance it's one and done right right and good point the key key thing there is it doesn't hurt the root ball um we did a job a couple weeks ago uh we had some eucalyptuses eucalyptus that were in the ground for about a year and uh, when they planted them they planted them too deep and didn't um trim prune the root ball correctly to where it would branch out in a year so we literally had to get cranes and lift these things out of the ground prune the roots put them back in and so far so good so when you do plant a tree for the first time make sure that you're doing it correctly not too high not too deep or you're going to be using all kinds of things like we're talking about right now 
And the more that you have to do to the tree, you know, the more it becomes dependent on those other things. Yes. You know, if you let the tree grow itself, establish itself, and it relies on itself, well, then, you know, you, you don't have the disease, you don't have the callbacks, you don't have the increased pruning. Right, right. I mean, they're self-contained. We, we, oh, we, we defeat ourselves. We're our own worst enemies a lot of times <laughs> trying to care and overcare for the tree. And, you know, it can be counterproductive. It can. It can. Uh, just you know, on our topic of uh, cabling trees and things like that, you, you might want to do like a, a quick assessment for your tree. Uh, for the monsoon that's that's coming up now gary we're i'm hearing that the people that know these things say we're going to have a, a above average monsoon this season so if i want to get out ahead of that is it too late to call y'all <laughs> we're booked out about six to eight weeks right now <laughs> well I, that's the point i wanted to make yeah. i mean monsoons officially start when 10 days I think it's the 15th to the 15th. Okay. It used to be uh, weather-driven a right. certain amount of days over a certain particular. Now it's a season. It but, was a dew point thing. Yeah, right? but yeah. I'm, I'm actually hearing there is a chance of some moisture in the metro Phoenix area next, next week. weekend. Yeah, I saw that this morning so, as well. Uh, if you haven't called Save a Tree yet, maybe you should now. Pick up a phone. We'll take care of you. Where, what, <clears throat> what would you have them call? Uh, 602-614-4807. And it's Save a Tree, but it's actually expanded Save a Tree, Shrub, and Lawn Care. Y'all have expanded uh, some of the services that you provide to customers. Yes, yeah, we do a lot of plant health care, uh, a lot of lawn as far as fertilization, uh, pest control, things like that. Um, and, of course, pruning and making trees happy. That's what we do. And you guys uh, had were at the tree climbing competition in Taylor a couple of weeks ago. You brought a couple of we were. experienced and, yet new, and young, new uh, tree climbers to the event it's pretty that was cool it's a fun event uh yeah we, we, we left friday night went up to uh snowflake taylor area uh and competed all day saturday <clears throat> i took uh, my operations manager up austin crosby one of my arborists uh matt and uh two climbers uh austin placed first in the uh throw line which i can't throw that far <laughs> you know because some of them trees up there they're massive uh cottonwoods Mm. So, yeah, we, we did all right. We did all right. Didn't take first overall, but we were top three. Good. Congratulations. Thank you. And it's a great experience. I understand it's going to be back in Taylor next year again. Yeah. Um, I was told that last week, and they're going to make it a two-day event. Very cool. And that's a great opportunity. It's open to the public. Yes. Um, for people that are, you know, maybe thinking about a career as an arborist to come see, you know, the skills that are required and a lot of the different, you know, there's... The competitions, there's an aerial rescue. Yep. Uh, there's the tree, the the line toss, which is to set your rope to start climbing a big tree. Yep. Uh, they use a lot for, you know, you don't see it on your native desert mesquites a lot, but a lot of palm trees. Uh, I've seen them use it, that technique, at least in demonstration. Oh, yeah. Um, the uh, You got to use a bucket lift truck, uh, how fast you can get up the tree. Uh, you know, I, I got tired just watching them. I was like, there's no way this old guy is going to even there's, try to do that. There's something really adrenaline pumping 
about climbing 40 feet high in a tree with a chainsaw. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> exactly that, right. that's, that's just, uh, oh, yeah, well, I got to yep. do that. <laughs> yep. I, I'm good for one one climb. That's it. <laughs> give, give me the lift bucket. <laughs> exactly. Is that exactly. with the safety on or off on the chainsaw? Uh, just checking. Double safeties. Ah. Double safeties. <laughs> All right, so just a couple things. Uh, I, I guess we can call this like a tree risk assessment checklist. Um, what you're looking for, you're wanna, you want to identify dead branches. If you've got dead branches, you could have a problem, especially with monsoon. Um, detached hanging branches, any branches falling from the tree. If there are loose bark on the trunk, are there cracks or splits in the trunk where the branches are attached? Has the trunk developed unusually? Are there cavities or rotten wood along the trunk or the major branches? Uh, mushrooms present at the base of the tree? Any of these things, um, you might want to call an arborist and find out, you know, how's the tree's health? How's it going to withstand during a storm? When you look at a tree uh, to prune it, one thing at least we've trained our guys in our nursery to look for is, is the included bark. Uh, sometimes you have branch connections that, are not sound, and um, it's you have to really kind of look it up, I guess, on a website to understand what the included bark is. Uh, but it's a it's a bad attachment that, as a branch gets larger, from a one inch to a three or four inch, that really the the tree is only connected at that one inch spot when you have a three inch diameter um, branch there. And as that tree grows, and we get into these monsoon seasons. You, that's where you'll see a lot of the ripping in, in, or the tree branches being torn off by the high winds on a lot of desert trees because they, they tend to have um, the branching structure. If it's not looked at carefully with, with a uh, certified arborist, um, they can look at that and remove those where you'll find problems you know, after the storms that come into the neighborhood. So, right. You properly trim an indigenous tree, a palaverde, a mesquite, ironwood, in a landscaping that's lit well. And it's jaw-dropping. It's, it's, it's yeah. pure artwork it is. when it's done right. Mm. And there, there's a couple in our neighborhood that when Jennifer and I take walks in the evening and the lights have come on and stuff, it, you just stop and you're just like, man, it's the, that is so handsome. The beautiful thing about it, yeah, it's real lacy and it's lit up so nice. Um, you know, you, you have the small little leaves on there, and they just kind of really give you a great reflection. Uh, the, the other, even in the daytime, uh, when you have a tree, a desert tree that's pruned correctly, uh, you get underneath it, and you can, you, if if you'd like to take photographs, the shadow that it casts down to the ground is it's really kind of beautiful and all stuff. One of my favorite lighting patterns uh, is the moonbeam lights hung high in the tree, shining down on the walk pass, creating all the shadows of the limbs. Mm -hmm. I yeah. love that look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is like the only place in the United States you can actually get that. <laughs> <laughs> and in the summer, that's the only, you know, the ideal time to be out is when it's dark. So this, you know, you can now use your landscape right. year round. And in the winter, it's dark by the time you get home. So it, it a great nightscape system you know makes a gives you your landscape year-round all right we have one more very important topic to get to but before we do i want to talk about arid zone trees because y'all 
our wholesale nursery, not open to the public, although you have a beautiful showroom if you're a landscape contractor and you're looking for a great source for native trees for your clients or you're working with a landscape architect, they can take you out there and browse through. But for the website is open to the public and you guys have it broken down by varieties. I mean, you must have 50 varieties of acacia trees here, names I've never even heard of. You click on them, you browse them. And I somehow immediately honed in on the desert hackberry, and I was asking you about it, and you're like, yeah, we don't grow anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, we we have grown a lot of trees from arid regions of the world. Uh, We brought in seed from Africa. Um, We brought seed in from Australia and parts of Asia. Um, And what we, again, we would do is we would evaluate these trees in our landscape and see how well they would do. And when we found a tree that we really would like, uh, we would start mass producing these trees and market them to landscape architects to use on projects. Um, and that's how we developed our website by writing newsletters on each one of these trees that we wanted to market. Uh, we then put that on our website to uh, let people understand a photograph of the tree, what it looks like, a little description of how it grows, what its flowers like, whether it drops its leaves in the winter whether it's evergreen, those things there, which has really, you know, been uh, fun uh, through the 35 years uh, growing desert trees here in Arizona. And that website? Uh, It's called aridzonetrees.com. Thank you, Mr. Salamander, for spending your Saturday morning with us. And uh, the last talking point we need to hit today is where I believe Stephen King got some of his inspiration. And if you're brand new to Arizona, it's going to be very soon you get to experience the Palo Verde boring beetles. Yeah, these things are nasty. Um, If you actually see the beetle, they've already been there three years and you don't know it. They'll they'll go down into the root ball, and that's where they live. And they come out every three years, and they mate. And, again, if you see the beetle, it's bad. You and I were talking about the beetles yesterday plethora of knowledge yeah yeah you, you can saddle these guys and ride them and all that stuff um, right they're in a, i think if you if you ride a motorcycle this time of year you want to make sure you put your your uh your screen down on your face and all stuff because you run into one of those it's going to hurt you pretty bad um my experience with these bugs is that um once you find it's about a quarter size hole that comes out of the ground and that's the exit hole for the adult when it comes out and and what happens is when the adult is is flying around it's basically laying eggs and they die within about a month i believe is what it is and what happens then when the eggs are laid the larva gets down into the root ball of a tree and they're munching on the roots of the trees for three to five years so what you have to do if you do notice that you have these palaverty bores is you need to treat this tree in May, June, and July with a pesticide, insecticide, um, to control it. But you need to do it for at least five years in order to make sure that you stop that cycle of uh, the eggs hatching, the larvae growing, and the adults coming out of the ground. Yeah, yeah. And we have a plant healthcare system that uh, we can take care of that. Contact one of the arborists to save a tree, and if you, if you see those little holes, get on it. They're little holes, but they're big bugs, three, four inches, yep. and they're as nasty as they look. From what I've been told, they don't bite. They're not poisonous. They're just big, ugly, and nasty, and they can fly, but they're not very accurate, or 
directional flyer. So, you know, if you get hit by them, they're not trying. They're just horrible flyers. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Um, I've, I've just got the, the fun facts. It's funny that you mentioned the motorcycle thing. It says uh, quick facts about uh, this beetle. During the summer months when the adult <clears throat> beetles fly, motorcyclists need to be careful and put their face shield down. Uh, being hit in the face by this beetle uh, can be quite painful. Another fun fact is the beetles are the most successful group of animals on the planet. They make up almost one-third of all described animal species. I did not know that. I didn't want to know that. Well, now you do. <laughs> <laughs> Got my little cheat sheet. <laughs> so it sounds to me like we need to propagate beetle eaters. What's their natural predator? <laughs> A plant health care system from Save-A-Tree? From Save-A-Tree, yeah, that's their natural predator. <laughs> I think what some of the native animals um, will eat them. I think the coyotes. I'm not sure bobcats. Uh, but but again, you know, they're they're the adults that are coming out. I know they're flying around my backyard, usually in August at nighttime, and I'll swat them down and I'll take my foot and stomp on them, get rid of them that way as well. So, evil little bug. Yeah, evil little yeah, bug. Yeah. Uh, predators. Predators of the adult beetles include road road runners, coyotes, bobcats, skunks, possibly bears. Hmm. I would encourage Roadrunner of that list for your yard. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> Although some of the old-timers would discourage that because they say they're really bad on the quail eggs. Did so you can't, have, you can't have quail and Roadrunner at the same time. <laughs> Sounds like I, I, I think I'm back to a plant health care specialist From so I can have the quail. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And saveatree.com, S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E.com, the schedule on Arborists. Get it now uh, so you can get in queue because y'all are... Y'all are booked. Ramping up. Excellent. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us.